Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. About a month ago, there was a really short segment on Sky News. And in that segment was this clip of an adult man who was identifying as a baby. Uh, he was in a nappy and he was saying things like, oh, who, who's going to change my nappy? And uh, it, 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 was, it was so repulsive. In fact, even the, the newsreader from Sky News sort of mentioned it and she was rolling her eyes thinking of what has this world come to? In fact, I then a Google search after that and realized uh, he's not the only individual in the world who identifies this way. There's apparently lots of people now in the world that are beginning to grown up people who are identifying as babies. I mean, people in their 30s and 40s and, and even older uh, walking around in nappies, uh, you know, lying in a cot. Uh, drinking milk from a bottle uh, and wanting some sort of assistance and wanting to be treated like a baby. I mean, perhaps even just thinking about it, you know, should make all of us think, oh, that, that's just wrong. That, that, something is seriously wrong there. And perhaps even uh, repulsive about that. Well, there's a sense in which what, what the author of Hebrews is now going to do with regards to the Hebrew Christians that he's talking to, he's going to address a similar problem, spiritually speaking. See, what has happened to these precious Christians, these Hebrew Christians, is that instead of continuing to mature because of uh, circumstances in their life, struggles and, and trials and uh, even the, the lure of an easy world, easy life in Judaism, they had regressed and gone back into spiritual immaturity. They had become spiritual babies. You could say uh, spiritual adult babies. And that's, that's an awful thing. That's not a normal thing. And so here, the, the author is going to address that problem, spiritually speaking, and then he's going to address that problem and, uh, and sort of indict them for where they're headed and then challenge them to then press on to maturity, to, to act like adults and to continue to mature in the Christian life. So this morning I've titled my sermon as Don't Stop Growing. And we'll look at this section under two headings. Firstly, we'll look at the problem of immaturity in verses 11 through 14. And then we'll look at the appeal to maturity in verses 1 through 3. 
And we'll see how this author will address the problem and is encouraging the, the saints there to continue to press on to maturity in Christ. And we'll even see what the big problem is other than it not being normal, the problem of immaturity, spiritual immaturity. So first of all, the problem of immaturity. Verse 11. He says, About this we have much to say. About this. Uh, so when you talk, when you think through, okay, what is this that the author is talking about? Uh, just what he's talked about before. You know, he's just talked about the fact that Jesus has been crowned as the messianic son and he's at the right hand of the Father. And what that means for Jesus, the God-man, to be crowned as the Messiah is not just that he is now the eternal king, crowned as eternal king, but he's also now crowned or appointed as the eternal priest. And then, if you remember, he had just said, but Jesus is a Melchizedekian priest, not a priest according to the order of Aaron. See, for these listeners, their understanding of the priesthood was mostly limited to the priesthood that belonged to the line of Aaron from the tribe of Levi. And so the author will then talk about the significance. What is the significance now of Jesus being from a, a Melchizedekian priest? And he'll talk much more in detail in chapter 7. But just as he's introduced this, the fact that Jesus is now crowned as the eternal priest according to the Melchizedekian priest kind of stops himself. Because he knows there's a problem that's going on with these Hebrew Christians now. And he wants to stir their hearts. And he wants to help these Christians. And he wants to address the problem and help them see what the problem is. And so he says, so he stops continuing on with talking about the significance of Jesus as the Melchizedekian priest. And he says, but for now, about this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. See, when he says it's hard for me to explain all that I want to say to you, this is not because the content of what he wants to say is hard. Although what he is saying is, is profound, deep things about Christ, no doubt. Wonderful, deep things about Christ. But it's not that the content is so hard that people can't understand it. Nor is the author implying that it's hard for him to explain because the listeners somehow, they're, they're not you know, smart enough perhaps to understand all he wants to say. That's not why it's so hard for him to explain. No, he says, I have much to say, but it's difficult to explain because you have become dull of hearing. Now, the word translated there as dull, it's the same word that's translated in just the next chapter, Hebrews 6 and 12, as sluggish. It's the same word. In fact, the, this kind of serves as one unit from 5.11 to 6.12. 
And so the problem that the church had was that they had become dull or sluggish in their hearing. It was really their disposition to God's word. See, the problem wasn't that they needed some sort of hearing aid to help them better listen to God's word. No, the problem was in their mind and their heart. Their heart and their mind had become sluggish to the things of God. There was a sluggishness to want to listen to God's word. You know, have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you just know that that person is not listening to you? I mean, there's many a times I've said this to my children. Now, there's words being spoken, and it can be heard, but nothing is registering. They're not listening. The person is not listening. And it's the same idea here with the Hebrews. They're hearing God's word. They can audibly hear it, but they're not actually listening. And notice it says that they have they have become dull of hearing. Implication? That they weren't always like this. That they used to listen to the Word of God at some point, but now they become dull of hearing, and, and they're continuing to move in that direction. This is the problem that he wants to address with the church here that he's writing to, these Hebrew Christians. You know, I'm so thankful to the Lord for this church family and the body of believers that gather here. You know, I would say just at least corporately, there is a genuine hunger for the Word of God. There's a genuine desire to, to grow in the faith. And I'm thankful for the way that the Lord has been molding us even for the past few years. Still, we should heed what the author is saying, especially on an individual level, if not corporately. See, the original audience that the author is writing to, they were Jews. And they heard the gospel, and they, they responded rightly. They left everything to follow Jesus. They even went through some persecution some of which we'll come to know late in the later chapters of the kind of persecution that they went through. But over time, either because of ongoing difficulties with following Jesus or the pull of Judaism, whether it's that external religiosity like the, the temple and the sacrifices and the fancy robe priests and whatever, none of which was there in Christianity, whether it's the pull of that or the fact that Practicing Judaism meant an easy life and no persecution. Either way, the, the push of persecution from one side and then the pull of an easy life of Judaism, these things were just filling up their minds. So that now as they're hearing the word of God and about Christ, they're simply hearing but not listening. And they're tempted to abandon Christ. They're becoming sluggish in their hearing. It's almost like they're saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Maybe even nodding their head to the truth, 
but it's not reflected in the way that they're living out their life. You know, even in this day and age, sometimes a person can be, you know, drawn toward the appeal of this world, or they can be weighed down by some trial that they're going through. And those things, uh, you know, either the pleasures of this world or the burdens of the of the trial so occupy the mind and the heart that the Word of God, sometimes it can happen where the Word of God is heard then, but they're not actually now receiving the Word of God. It's just a uh-huh, uh-huh. But all that's, that, that's there in their mind and their heart is either the pleasures or the, or the burdens. And so we would do well then to ask ourselves this question individually. Am I growing sluggish toward the Word of God? Is the gospel losing its sweetness to you? Is the Word of God making an impact in your life, impacting your very thoughts and your actions? Is there a desire to be in the Word of God? You know, maybe you're going through a trial. Maybe it's the pleasures of this world and, and there's a tug at your heart and it's been pulling you this way. Or maybe it's just the comforts of this life and, hey, life is comfortable, so why change anything? Why put in any effort or do anything at all? Or maybe it's even the busyness of life. Whatever you may be going through in life, we must all ask ourselves, am I listening to God's word, actually listening to God's word, or am I being sluggish? to God's word. And if there's someone here who says, you know, I'm actually becoming sluggish to God's word. I'm not receiving it and acting on God's word. Then I want to tell you that there is a great danger that you're in. See, the author has previously already said, you know, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Well, let me ask you a question. How do you harden your heart? As you become sluggish to his word. And the more that happens, that hardening takes place. So that's the danger that is there. Now the author goes on to say, verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Now here, he's not using the term teacher in an official sense, as though he's expecting everyone to be in the office of a pastor elder. I mean, we know from the rest of the Bible that's not the expectation of every Christian. Nor is he saying that every Christian needs to, be, needs to be teaching somebody immediately after their conversion. And so just being a Christian means you should be able to now teach others. Notice again what he says there. By this time, you ought to be teachers. Meaning some time has passed. Quite a few years have passed since their conversion. You know, yes, there's a time to observe and to be discipled and for learning the basic truths of the Christian faith. 
And if you've been a Christian now for a week or, or, or a year now, there's nothing wrong for you to continue to learn the basics of the Christian faith and being discipled this way. But as time goes by, say you've been a Christian for closer to 10 years or beyond, there comes a time when every Christian then should be able to teach the basic truths of the Christian life and faith to someone else. And again, this is not saying that at some point every Christian should become a public speaker. That they should be able to teach uh, in, you know, in a room full of people like this. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's trying to say is, it just means that the longer you are a Christian, you should be able to sit down with an unbeliever or a new convert and say, hey, uh, let me just tell you a little bit more about the Bible. Let me tell you a bit more about Jesus and what it means to follow him. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to articulate every nuance of theology, but it does mean that you are teaching others what it means to follow Jesus as you're interacting with others. Or in other words, he's saying that every Christian should be a disciple maker. I mean, that's what it means to be a Christian, right? To be a disciple of Christ, that's what it means, right? To make other disciples. What did Jesus say to his disciples? Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go therefore and make, who is he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. So what are the disciples, those who follow Jesus, what are they meant to do? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Notice, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's our mission as Christians. To make other disciples of Christ. To evangelize and then once they are converted to disciple others. Or as we've said many, many, many times from this pulpit. Remember this? A Christian is someone who loves Jesus. There's that vertical relationship with Jesus. Is following Jesus. But then also helps others follow Jesus, helps others love Jesus. That's what a Christian is. That's what Matthew 28 is saying. If you follow me, Jesus is saying, if you are my disciples, you will go and make disciples. A Christian is somebody who follows Jesus and then has a heart for others to help them love Jesus and follow Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. There has to be both the vertical and the horizontal component, definitionally, in understanding what a Christian is. And so it's not just the pastor elder who has the responsibility of making disciples. It's every Christian. I mean, you think about, okay, let's just talk about Maybe just even a couple of scenarios. If you're a Christian and you happen to be a parent, you know, part of your role is that we, we are all called as parents to teach our children about who God is and what it means to follow Jesus. That's part of the responsibility of being a Christian parent, to teach others, to teach the, the, the little ones in our home. You know, Deuteronomy sets up the foundation for that. 
And that's one aspect of teaching that we should be doing in the home. What about within the life of the church family? I mean, Paul says in Titus 2, uh, he talks about the older men and the younger men and the older women and the younger women. That they are to teach others. The older ones teaching the younger ones what it means to live as a Christian. What it means to follow Jesus in the home and in the world. You know, as we're being hospitable, as we invite people over to our homes, or as we're having conversations, whether after church or uh, catching up for a coffee or, or whatever it may be, we are called to point each other to Christ. Where we say, hey, l- let me just tell you what I'm reading and learning in the Bible. Let me tell you what God has been doing in my life and how he's been changing me and making me more like Jesus. You know, this trial was really hard, but you know, God is using this to really help me to cling on to him. And I want to tell you about that. This is a responsibility that we all have as Christians to disciple others. It's not just for a few elite. And the author implies that in the way he indicts them That there is an expectation that by this time, all Christians should be discipling and teaching others. But his indictment to these Hebrew Christians are what? You're not doing this. Instead, it's like someone else has to come and continue to teach you the basic truths of the Christian life and the faith again. Because you're becoming more and more dull of hearing God's word, the author says. Now the author goes on and and look at what he says, the last part of verse 12 and following. He says, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. See, the author says, see, the problem is the the fact that you are still on milk and not on solid food. What is this milk referring to? It's again talking about the basic things of the Christian faith. And he'll go on to explain that in the following verses, and we'll look at it soon. And the reason that he says that they're still on milk is because they have regressed, that they have spiritually become babies instead of growing up. They're spiritually immature. See, here's the thing about the Christian life. If we are not moving forward, we are moving forward backward. There's no such thing as a Christian who stands still and is neutral. If we are not growing, then we are regressing. If we're not moving towards Christ and becoming more like Christ, we're becoming more and more like the world and our fleshly self. I mean, think of it like exercise. You know, you, you start going for a jog, you start exercising, start lifting up some weights perhaps. 
And then you start building stamina and strength. Right? And this goes on for a while. Now, what do you think will happen when you stop for a few months? Do you keep progressing? Or do you remain where you are in your stamina and your strength? No, you, you regress. You know, your stamina comes down, your strength comes down, and it's the same sort of idea, spiritually speaking. When we're not in the Word and in prayer and in fellowship with God's people, we begin to start regressing. We begin to start going backwards. There's never a neutral thing. Either we're moving forward or we're going backward. And when we neglect the Word and prayer and fellowship, we start going backward and we become more and more spiritually immature rather than become more and more mature. And look, the author says to his listeners, you're spiritual babies. See, now, if, if someone's actually, you know, a little baby is actually a baby, I mean, it's totally appropriate for that baby to live as a baby. You know, to say gaga goo goo and drink milk from a bottle and, and wear nappies and whatnot. But if a grown-up does the same thing, we will all agree that there is something seriously wrong. And that's what the author is saying. That's what the problem is with these Hebrew Christians. And he goes on to explain the problem with being, you know, spiritually a babe. Even after some time had passed, even though they should have been growing. He says that such a person is unskilled in the word of righteousness. He doesn't have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish between good and evil. Now what does he mean by that? You know, what does it mean to be skilled in the word of righteousness and to be able to discern what is good and evil through practice. It means that when you read the Bible as a Christian, you're being trained more and more on what it means to live out the gospel. See, as a Christian, when I'm reading the Bible, I'm thinking through, what does this mean now because of what Jesus has done in my life, what this passage is saying? in the way I'm to live out my life as a Christian, as somebody who follows Jesus? In what ways does this passage impact my thinking and my living because I'm a follower of Jesus? And so as, as this is done, there's a certain kind of righteous living that comes out as a result of thinking, I'm a follower of Jesus, this is what God's word tells me to do, there's a certain kind of living that it results in, a righteous living. And so we become skilled this way in living out the truth of God's word as we apply it this way, thinking through what does what, what the passage have to say mean for how I live the Christian life. And he goes on to say, and therefore we'll be even able to distinguish between right from wrong. Now, what is this distinguishing between right and wrong? 
Well, I would say it's not just talking about basic morality like, oh, you know, I, I know that it's wrong to steal or to murder, and so, you know, I can distinguish between right and wrong, so everything is fine with me. No, no it's not just that. I th- it's so much more than that. It means that if I'm following Jesus, then I also know what is good and right for me to do. To look for ways to help others and serve others and be a blessing to others. Because regularly as I'm in the Word, I'm training myself of what it means to follow Jesus in light of His Word. So I'm to live like this and therefore what does that mean for the way I serve others and how I'm to bless others. It's not just this. It has to translate outward living toward others and blessing others. You know, I'm so thankful for the sisters in this church and the way they serve each other. Uh, I, I mean, spiritually and even practically. Uh, you know, it's just wonderful the, the work that the Lord is doing amongst particularly the sisters. And while I'm thankful that the Lord is doing a work amongst the brothers as well, I do want to take a moment to just address the brothers here gently. And particularly with regards to a ministry that I think it's an area of weakness and sometimes there can be huge struggles in this ministry. And so that this ministry won't then become cumbersome for just a few week in and week out. It's the ministry of setting up chairs and things like that in this church building. I hope all of you who come and sit down here realize these chairs don't automatically appear. There are brothers who come way before you're here and they come and set this up so that all of us can comfortably sit down and worship the Lord. So brothers, I I just want to help you think through how does knowing that you're a follower of Jesus, knowing what Jesus has done, how, how does that if impact this ministry of setting up as well. Yes, it's a ministry that you have to come to do where no one is here and you have to set up these chairs. It means sometimes you have other plans and you have to put that aside to do that. But rather than seeing it as a chore or, you know, oh, this is just so difficult and uh, I guess this is something I have to do. See it as something where because you love Jesus and you realize part of following Jesus and loving Jesus is loving others and serving others, see it as then an opportunity for you to be selfless and to bless others so that even though you have to be inconvenienced for a little bit, that others who come later then can comfortably sit and worship God. You know, so I want to encourage as many able-bodied men to be part of the set-up ministry. I know there are different seasons and sometimes for legitimate reasons people can't make it. But those of you who are able, I want you to, if you're not part of it, then you know, go and speak to Paul Hodgkinson who's sitting there and you can speak to him and he'll sign you right on. Um, but I want to encourage all the able-bodied men to, just as a practical way of 
serving and loving others. I mean, this is what it means to be a Christian, right? This is the righteous living that he's talking about, where we're doing what is good and right, not only for ourselves, but for others, to help others love Jesus, and this is in a practical way. I mean, imagine if there were no chairs and nothing done here, it would be difficult to have this service. So it's a practical way of ministering to others and serving others so they can love Jesus better. You know, one of my previous pastors, he would often say, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, but he would say something to the effect of, if you say you love Jesus and you're growing, but you have no desire to help an older person who cannot drive to get to church, then I don't know what you mean by the fact that you are growing and loving Jesus. See, the point is that that love for Jesus, that growth in the Christian life, then must translate into the way we live. And part of that is not just for our own selves, but it is to serve and be a blessing to others and help others on their journey as well. And sometimes that can mean practical helps to continue to bless them so that they can love Jesus better. And so what the author is implying here is that as Christians, our response to the gospel should have deeper implications in the way we follow Jesus in our everyday lives and in the way we serve others to that end as well. So again, the question that we must ask ourselves is, am I being sluggish to the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ? How is it impacting the way I live and I serve others? Are you growing in your love for Jesus and your love for others and thereby even serving others? Or are you regressing? Are you going backward? It's simply everything head knowledge or just an auditory list hearing, but nothing really going in and impacting your life. Look, there's a. The reason why the author is doing this is not to discourage these Hebrew Christians. He's not just saying, okay, you're baby Christians, you need to grow up, come on, just get with it. No, he's being very pastoral here because he wants them to tr see the, the trajectory that they're on, that they're regressing backward rather than maturing, they're going the other way. And the danger with that is that ultimately they will go so far away from Jesus, they will totally abandon him. And so he's trying to shock them, to kind of jolt them and say, hey, stop being sluggish to the word of God. Grow up. Stop just being on milk. Wake up and press on towards 
maturity. And so now we come to the second point, which is the appeal to maturity. Chapter 6 and verses 1 through 3. He says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. What's he saying here? Is he saying, oh, you know, let's just leave the elementary things of Christ. That's, you know, we don't talk about the gospel anymore. Oh, that's just basic. Let's just move on to advanced things. Now, some, sometimes people think that way. That the gospel, oh, you know, that's just a basic thing. Uh, and what's advanced things is supralapsarianism or the eternal procession of the Holy Spirit or, or some other deep, apparent deep doctrine like that. No, that's not what he means here. We never leave the gospel behind. The gospel is how we start the Christian life. It's how we grow also in the Christian life. And it's also how we finish in the Christian life. What he's talking about is going deeper and wider into that same gospel. That's what he's talking about. You know, think of it like, a, like chicken curry, for example. Right? So he's saying, you know, what you've been doing is you're just having the gravy and that's all. You're just having that liquid diet. No, you need to dive in deeper, get into the chunks of that, that chicken and, and the bone and the flesh and whatever else. It's the same thing, but just a deeper dive into it, not just the surface skimming of it. You know, there's a... When you think about really the whole Bible in itself, or when we think about the, the gospel in itself, sometimes we might think of the gospel just as duh, 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 and that's it. While in a very narrow sense, yeah, there are certain elements to it and the, those basic aspects of the gospel he will talk about in the next couple of verses. But there's a sense in which from Genesis to Revelation, the whole counsel of God is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It talks about how a living God created this world and how man rebelled and there's a plan now that God has set in motion to bring about his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come into this world, to die for sinners like you and me. And then he rose up on the third day and he's seated on the right hand and he will return once again to make everything right and establish his kingdom, that eternal rest of God where he will be with his people. That's all, all of that in different ways. Some is anticipating it, some is describing it, some is things yet to be fulfilled, but from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about that. It's just a deeper diving into that. And to see how all of that is connected. 
Which is why when we went through Genesis as well, and even as we're going through Hebrews, we can see, oh, some of these things God has talked about and how it's all connecting and going forward like this. And so what he's saying here is, let's not just stick with the basics of the rudimentary aspects of the gospel, but rather get in more grounded in the gospel, rooted in the full counsel of the good news of who God is and what he's doing for his people. And now to explain that, he gives us three, be- three pairs of these basic truths of the gospel. This milk that he's been talking about. These elementary principles. So if you notice there, verse 1 again of chapter 6, the first pair there is where he says, let's leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, maturity in Christ. So it's not leaving Christ. It's not leaving the gospel. And he says, not laying again the foundation. What's the foundation or the milk or the elementary things of the, uh, the doctrine of Christ? Well, the first pair is repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. I mean, this is how we start the Christian life, right? We repent, we turn away. Dead works meaning works that lead to death. In other words, sin. That we turn away from sin and then we believe and we put our faith in God. We trust in who God is and who He says and what He says as God has revealed Himself in His Son, the God-man Jesus Christ, who came into this world to pay the price for our sins. And so we turn away from our sins, that's repentance from dead works, works that lead to death, and then we put our faith in God as He's revealed Himself in Jesus Christ. That's how we begin the Christian life. Then you have the second pair there. Verse 2, he says, an instruction about washings and the laying on of hands. Now these washings are basically, uh, some translations may have baptisms or some, maybe if you've got footnotes, they will say baptisms as well. And basically, you know, what he's talking about is, now in the Old Testament, there were these ceremonial washings to make yourself ceremonially clean. And there was a sense in which that was partially then fulfilled in what it was pointing to in the baptism of John itself. And then ultimately, it's fulfilled in the believer's baptism. So what he's saying is, you know, this was essential for these Jewish Christians to understand. It was basic to the gospel that they would understand, that initial Christian faith. That when they come to faith in Christ, there was a command of baptism, and it was different from those Jewish ceremonial washings or the baptism of John the Baptist. No, this is a Christian baptism of when you become a Christian, what we witness today with George and Noah. Again, this is basic elementary things for the Christian faith. And then he also adds the, the laying on on hands. Now there's a bit of debate on what these laying on of hands means. 
Now, some say it's being appointed to the office of an elder or particularly to a service or something like that. But I lean towards, I can't be dogmatic about it, but as it's described in Acts 8 and Acts 19, where the, uh, you know, the apostles would lay their hand on people after they proclaimed the gospel and the Holy Spirit would come on them. It was that unique time where all these miraculous signs and uh, these different things were happening. This was the same time that these Hebrew Christians were living. Remember in chapter 2 as well, they said, no, we heard it from those who were direct eyewitnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel. And so this is probably that laying on of hands, probably talking about also that initial time of conversion, even as they've received that Holy Spirit and then they're baptized. So that's again part of that initial thing of the Christian faith. Then you have the third pair where he says the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This is that one day when Jesus returns, that there will be a bodily resurrection. Where we'll be raised from the dead. And those who have repented from their sin and put their trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, and they're following him, they can be assured that they will be raised in this glorified body. And they will enter into God's eternal rest. Even as heaven comes down on earth. And those of us who have put our trust in Jesus can be assured in this glorified state, we will be with Jesus forever. But those who've disobeyed God, disbelieved His word, hardened their heart toward God's word, will face eternal judgment and punishment for their sins. So this is all the basic foundation of the Christian faith. The basic elements of the gospel. Maybe you're here this morning and these basic elements of the gospel hasn't been really laid in your heart and your life. Maybe you've heard it before but you've never actually believed this truth then I want to tell you, friend, today is the day for you to turn and believe and trust in the Lord Jesus. See, because God created a wonderful world and he created you and I, but all mankind sinned and rebelled against God, a God who is holy and righteous, so righteous that he cannot just simply overlook sin. Yet he's also a God who's gracious and merciful. So gracious and merciful that he promised from ages past that he would send his only begotten son that he loves so much into this world to come as fully God and fully man. The one who would be perfectly obedient to everything that God's word has said. The one who would go through extreme temptation and suffering in this world yet would continue to be obedient and then die on the cross for sinners like you and me. So that he would become the substitute. He would take the place of sinners who deserve to bear the wrath of God and he would take it on himself. And he bore the full wrath of God against sinners like you and me and then he died on that cross. 
But he didn't remain dead. He rose up on the third day. And then he ascended to heaven and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father and he will return once again to gather his people and to judge those who still continue to resist him. So friend, I would ask you to put your faith in Jesus and trust in him as your Lord and your Savior. And if you say, I believe, then I would ask you to turn away from your sin, turn from living yourself and continue to follow him because that is the evidence that you truly believe in Jesus. If you want more details on clarifications of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him, please come and talk to me or Donnie or perhaps one of the other church members or a friend that you know who's sitting next to you who's a Christian and they'll be able to tell you what the gospel of Jesus is. But the author here says to the believers, press on to maturity. And then he adds this little verse in the end, in uh, verse 3, and this we will do if God permits. Yes, there's a personal responsibility to not be a spiritual babe, not to regress, but to press on, to, to feed on solid food, and to keep maturing. But ultimately, it's dependent on God. It is only by God's grace that we can digest God's word and, and have those elements in us and impact us and live a certain way only by God's help. And so at the end of the day, while there is effort from our side, we must acknowledge that we must have grace from God to do this only if God permits. And so ask God for help. And so the author's challenge then is for the Christians to press on to maturity and to feed on solid food. Now here's the thing, you know, sometimes I've heard people say, I love Jesus. And all that's all that matters. I don't need to know all this heavy doctrine. I don't need to know the Bible so much and things like that. I mean, I, I understand that people speak this way out of ignorance. And I would say even the author of Hebrews would, have, would take issue with that kind of a statement. Because when you think about it, here's a congregation that's Facing difficulty, there's the, there's the push of persecution coming one way, and then the, there's the pull of the easy life another way. And, and things are only going to get worse, particularly with regards to the persecution. And so the author's concern is to get them to persevere. And so what does he do? to help them persevere in the midst of this persecution and the pull of uh, Judaism, he gives them deep theology about Christ. Have you thought about that? He's preparing their hearts so they can receive deep theology of Christ, so they can see how great Jesus is and what he's done and what he will do. Why? So that they will persevere. 
You see how just a superficial, because his concern is, if you simply have a superficial understanding of Jesus, and you just name the name of Jesus and somehow coasting along, you're not going to keep persevering. What you need is meat, and that's exactly what he does. And in fact, he will go there in chapter 7, where he'll, after he indicts them, and then he warns them after this, then sort of encourages them, he goes back again to Melchizedek, because that's what they need. The solid meat of God's word. And so help us not to be ignorant when we think, oh, you know, I love Jesus and that's all that matters and I just, I just need the gravy of God's word and I don't need the deep meat of it. So here's the question. How do I, if you're finding yourself becoming dull towards God's word. How do I overcome that? Well, I would say one way in which you can overcome that is just coming to our weekly gatherings so that you can be exposed to solid food, the solid food of God's word. Because that's what we desire for all of you as you as you come to this church gathering. And that's why we do the way we do our services on a Sunday morning. You know, if you think of the songs that we sing, they're not necessarily meant to elicit some emotional response or some experience from you, unlike certain other churches. But if you really look at the words we're singing, it will remind you deep truths about who God is and what His Word says and who you are in light of Him and the hope of the Gospel. And yes, in light of that truth, that excites your heart and that thrills your heart, praise be to God, that's the working of God. But we're not trying to artificially create some sort of experience for you. We have the the praying from God's Word as the men come and read God's Word and in light of that they praise God and confess to God because again we want it to be saturated with the Word of God that you're exposed again and again to the meat of God's Word. The way we preach. You know we have expository preaching where we have verse by verse, book by book, chapter by chapter and we don't leave any verse unturned. We're not afraid to go there because it is God's word and whether we like it or not, we are going to keep going through God's word because this is what we need and, and our desire is for you to continue to be exposed to the solid word of God's word and not just skimming on top with some gravy. Let me end by saying this. Do you realize what is at stake if you're not growing and you're not feeding on God's word? Well, first of all, it's your own life is in spiritual danger. Because if you're not progressing forward, you're regressing back and you keep going down that path. That's a dangerous path of ultimately abandoning Christ and to apostasy. That's what he will warn us about in the next passage that we'll look at next week. And it's not just for yourself, but it's for the sake of the church. 
Because if the members of the church are weak and just skimming on the gravy, it's going to be a weak church. When trials and the appeal to this world, the church will not stand. And it's not just the church, even your homes, your children, your spouses. That they need you to teach them by, by what you know in God's word and as well as how that impacts your life and how you live out your word. That is what is at stake. And so may we, as Christians, heed what the author is telling us even this morning. To press on in the Christian faith. To strive towards maturity. In being in God's word and applying God's word and as as a way to know how to follow Jesus better. And as we understand that and we're applying the gospel this way, that it would not only impact us, we would realize that also means in the way we serve others and bless others. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, your word that is truly living and active. It's not just mere words of men but it continues to do its work even today, even, even now. We pray that even as we've heard your word, that we would not be dull of hearing or if we are going down that path. Lord, we pray that we would heed what the author is warning us about and we would press on to maturity as we dive more and more into God's word and in prayer and in fellowship with God's people, as we understand the deeper things of the good news of Jesus, that it would impact the way we live and it would also impact in the way we view others and how we serve others and bless others. Lord, we know this ultimately there is effort from our side, but ultimately we need grace from you. And so we come again to our great high priest for both mercy and grace to continue to persevere on in this. We ask all these things in his great name. Amen.